And I'm Emily. And you're listening to Macabre Minds, a true crime podcast. Yes. And uh, before we start anything, I just wanted to update everybody that we now have a Twitter. I finally got around to making it. Um, I went on Twitter and realized our other, like, Twitter was deleted, um, like a sprinkle of sugar Twitter. I, like, can't – I don't have access to it. I don't know what happened to it. I was going to delete it anyway because we're not going to use it, but – You're blocked. Like gone. So did Elon Musk block you? That's literally – that was my first thought. I said – he said, you haven't tweeted on this in, like, two months. Delete. (laughs) Elon Musk himself. (laughs) Yeah. He booted me off. Um, But that's fine because we have a new Twitter, which is uh, Macabre Minds Pod. It's a lot more simple than our last handle. Yeah. So it's easier to find, too. And I will put that in the show notes and everything. And remember, guys, macabre is spelled like macabre. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, The R is silent. And the E. And the A. Not the, the A. Second. Well, no, the second A sounds like an O. That would be Macomb. <laughs> it's not macabre. I don't know. I don't know. Maca. I don't think that the word macabre makes sense in. It doesn't. Yeah. Also, no, not... um, speaking of macabre, um, a fun little macabre show is the new Wednesday show. I just want to put that out there. They're not sponsoring us, but it's really good. And I watched it, but I've seen so much on it. It's so good. And then the theme song, the I always have subtitles on, you know, because I'm deaf. Mm-hmm. And the theme song, like when it starts playing, it says jauntily macabre music. So I like that too. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's a good show. I know the the girl that plays Wednesday seems like she's really gotten um like taking it seriously and is really doing a good job with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like, stare at her face because, like, she's – I saw an interview. She, like, doesn't blink during the mm-hmm. takes. So I'm, like, watching her eyes, and I'm, like, oh, my God, she's really not blinking. It's crazy. That's yeah. nuts. I know. I've heard her say that she had to – um, like, they've had to do a lot of retakes, and it must mm-hmm. have gotten kind of annoying because, like, her eyes would start watering or, like, yeah, she'd start crying. But, yeah. like, how do you not when you – Right? It's just a reflex. Blink. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, anyway – so that was a short little side note, but um, this is part three. part three. Yes. And then um, there's only a little bit left. So part four, we'll be just wrapping it up. Um, but yeah, so this is part three, everyone. Let's go. I'm so excited. Um, so Denise decides to go back to her apartment and her roommate, Heather, tells her that the FBI came and, like, ripped the place apart, like, looking for evidence against Denise um, that she was a faker, you know, because that's still what people are thinking. Um, But her roommates were like, she shouldn't have to come home to this, so they cleaned it all up before she got there. Oh, good. They're nice roommates. Um, But they did tell her that that happened, so she decides to stay with family in Huntington Beach instead of at, at her apartment. I mean, yeah, like, you already feel violated because you literally just got kidnapped and raped. Yeah. And then then to hear that people have been through all of your stuff and just tore it apart, like, 
just you feel you don't feel safe anywhere after that no yeah so I yeah I would definitely want to stay with my family too after all that Mm -hmm. and then finally she gets a hold of Aaron on the phone this is their first time like speaking or anything since she Mm -hmm. came back and they both like immediately break down and all Aaron can like say is like he kept repeating they thought I killed you they thought I killed you and um and they finally plan to meet and as soon as they see each other they just you know hold each other for a really long time as you would you know like Mm -hmm. your first meeting after all of this trauma is just you want to comfort each other and they finally tell each other like their side of the story and when she gets to like her sexual assault she tells him um he had to have sex with me and he was like no he raped you and Mm -hmm. she said like wow I really did need to hear someone say that because all this time like nobody has really been saying it and you know the police think like she was an enabler of it you know and he like convinces her like you don't need to feel guilty for like having to act like you like that obviously you didn't like it was still rape and like so I feel like she had like Stockholm syndrome you know she was like but he was nice to me otherwise and he was like no you don't need to feel this way you know so right yeah yeah honestly that would be such like so hard on his point like on his part I'm really kind of happy or Mm -hmm. proud of him for how he reacted because I think a lot of people would you know like take that the wrong way and be like oh well we had to have sex he was really nice to me like for him to be like no 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 like yeah that's not what happened it's it's okay to say it like I understand what happened and it's okay that that happened but it's not okay for for your sake you know right like validating what happened to you and your feelings but not saying like it was okay you know yeah right yeah um so that next Monday after that, Aaron and Denise go to Dan and Amy's office, which is um, Aaron's attorneys, to read the emails that the kidnappers had been sending to the Chronicle. And one of the emails is 9,000 words long, 19 pages. And the kidnappers in the email clearly state their intent to clear Denise and Aaron's names, but they still don't say like their own names. But And they're also filled with... L- like immense detail about how they broke in and how they were watching them and another email even threatens the Vallejo police if they don't recant their accusations against Aaron and Denise so once again these kidnappers are like seemingly showing their support to Aaron and Denise and it's like this odd thing where they're not getting support from anyone else really so it's super weird what is going on yeah. That is so bizarre to me. 19 pages. So someone sat down, just like cracked their fingers, like got really ready for it and just like yeah. typed in for the long haul. Like, I just don't get why. Why? 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 <laughs> why would you do that? It's so why, weird. Like, you're so willing to take their money, but otherwise don't want to ruin their lives. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, yeah. Never seen anything like it which yeah 
and like it's, they don't have time to sit down like they're dealing with the police they're constantly going into the station they're constantly being interviewed or yeah. you know dealing with their family trying to get back to it they don't have time to write a 19 page paper no when would they do that you know yeah yeah they're constantly being watched so how could it possibly have been them right uh so the next thing they try and tackle is to get their jobs back on track um aaron is on paid medical leave from kaiser where they work but the company refuses to contact or even like acknowledge denise's existence like this whole time nobody has reached out to her she has sent multiple emails to the company because she was supposed to take like her exam to be officially licensed um and they said they just didn't respond and kept pushing off her exam and she was like it's clear i can no longer work for you because they're still thinking she's like like they don't want to be associated with her um, basically is what it is through all of this so she's not like officially fired they're like literally just like ignoring her existence which is and she's not getting paid so it's a weird Even though she's supposed to be on paid medical leave yeah pretty much and on top of all of that she's also dealing with depression ptsd and anxiety and has she goes to therapy a lot which is expected from something like that mm-hmm. um and she also tried to get in contact with victims assistant government programs um, because an FBI agent told her, you get this for free after what you've gone through. Here's the card. Just call the victims assistant program and they'll like pull up your file and everything. So she tried to get in contact with them and that agency said, no, we never got anything. You don't have an open case with us. You don't have a file. So you can't get the support. So even though the FBI, one of the FBI agents said to do it, no one did it for her. Like the FBI is supposed to set that up for her. Nobody did it. So she's not getting that help from them. <laughs> Isn't it great? I just, um, I just cannot believe how much, like they're innocent until proven guilty. Right. There is nothing saying that she's guilty here. No. I don't understand how people they're getting away with this and like the fbi is involved yeah the fbi not just like a local i mean it is local but you know yeah Ugh. so her attorney doug goes like above and beyond for her though and he he like really cares for her and i love it um he takes care of all her work issues that she's been having he finds her the government victim support that she was supposed to have he shuts down twitter and facebook pages that are being created under her name like falsely just to like tweet and say nasty things he shuts them all down he Mm -hmm. also at the same time is continuing to gather evidence for a civil case against the vallejo police department and the fbi um in case they want to like prosecute her for anything so he's doing all the things he's looking out for her and wait so they haven't officially charged them with anything they're just no they're just making these accusations like holding press conferences yeah and that's why it's it's like ridiculous because they're doing all of this but they can't they can't charge them with anything because there's no evidence (laughs) and who's overseeing them like this is not okay this is yeah very illegal that's slander yeah Oh, totally. Then. 
But when there's zero evidence, also there's mm -hmm. zero charges against her. Oh, but they hold a press conference saying that she did this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's because like Sue yeah, them. nobody Sue nobody them. higher up is doing anything about it. They don't care enough to like put a stop to it. Um that's such a mess. Mm-hmm. And then the plot thickens when Aaron asks Denise, who was the FBI agent who first interrogated you when you first got back? And she said his name was Dave Sesma. And Dave Sesma was the FBI agent that Jennifer Jones had had an affair with during her marriage. <gasps> um, Yeah. So he is way too close to this case. And oh, he is shit. the lead FBI agent on this case. They find out. Uh Oh, spaghetti Conflict of interest, you would think. I'd say so. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. So Ethan, Aaron's FBI agent brother, and their attorneys immediately write complaints to the FBI saying, this Dave Sesma is too connected. He cannot be working this case. We need a new person assigned to it. And um, they basically say that um, Sesma did not like he could still work on it basically because he did let them know of the relationship and they decided it was still okay which it should not be that is That's, not protocol that can be cause that can cause a mistrial if they do press mm -hmm. charges that is enough to cause to make so much evidence or any interview that he conducted just dead in the water is that even a word i don't even know like it doesn't even i don't know a lot about that but i know that these have to be so cut and dry if they're ever gonna press charges yeah and something like that can ruin a case for the fbi so the fbi would take them off in an instant they got they yeah got totally you would so, yeah so the fact that this guy is so involved i don't know it's almost like they don't even they just want to ruin their lives they don't even want to press charges yeah exactly like they don't care about anything um and the police had told Aaron, it's always the boyfriend. It's always that. That's why you were um, targeted. And Aaron, in response to that, says, if it's always the boyfriend, that then Agent Sesma should be the suspect in this case because he was Jennifer's boyfriend and she was the original target. And they're like, hmm, I guess. They just like, <laughs> and that's totally logical. Like, wait, and they're just wait to flip that around. That is yeah. I'm glad that he said something because seriously, I mean, for one, to hypergeneralize it and to say that it's always the boyfriend, that mm -hmm. would just make me be like, okay, so you're only you're not gonna investigate anyone else. You're only gonna investigate me. Yeah, because you you don't care. It would just make you want to give up because you're like, well then what's the point of an investigation if it's always the boyfriend? Right. Like that's what your job is, is to prove it, not make assumptions. That makes an ass out of you and me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then, on top of that, they find out that Jennifer's current boyfriend, because Sesma is her ex, uh, mm -hmm. her current boyfriend is a police officer who works with Sesma in the same department. So her ex and her current boyfriend have been working together, and they know each other. And Doug is her furious. And then he goes above... Um, the police station itself and files a complaint with the U.S. Department 
of justice's office of professional responsibility to get them both removed from the case because that is that is a lot of entanglement the current boyfriend is absolutely a conflict of interest Mm -hmm. okay but now i don't get it like so if the current boyfriend's also involved or also just you know around Mm -hmm. what would he have against jennifer to have her like to want to have her kidnapped i don't know yeah you didn't know you just have really yet (laughs) who knows (laughs) um so yeah so two she obviously likes police enforcement or law enforcement because she she her ex is an fbi agent and her current boyfriend is a police officer sorry jenny Um, but you gotta type and she cheated on basically all these men she cheated on aaron with her current boyfriend the police officer and she cheated on the FBI agent with the police officer. So, so girl has a lot going on. Interesting. Um, what do you say? I said, so is she currently cheating? Very oh. interesting. Oh. Hmm. Once a cheater, always a cheater. I mean, apparently with her case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Sesma's attorney sends a cease and desist letter to Doug um, saying, stop filing complaints because he never failed to disclose any conflict of interest so your case is not going to go anywhere so you might as well stop um it doesn't matter like why does it matter if you disclose it yeah like because even if he said something it should not be okay right exactly like that doesn't mean it's fine like oh hey by the way like like for example i'm a nurse Oh, yeah, by the way, that patient in room 2102 that I'm taking care of today is my aunt. Right. Oh, so, since you told us it's okay, it's fine. Thank you. We'll for let talking. it slide. Like, what? No. Bizarre. Like, it's the same thing. Like, you just can't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's because you told them. That makes no sense. So in June, Aaron tries to sell his house because obviously they don't want to live in it after what happened. He gets a call from his realtor that a young couple were in his house and they did not have a key or paperwork, but they were claiming that Aaron rented it to them on Craigslist, the house. And they insist that they had paid rent for it and they were the ones being scammed. Um, But the realtor calls the police and she's like, no, this never happened. Um, They're lying, but the police do not arrest this couple, even though they're like literally in Aaron's house. What? And they even, the police leave the realtor and the neighbors to watch over this couple. They're like, we're going to go now. You can take care of it yourself. And like left everybody there, like left the couple there in the house and everything. <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> um. And they eventually get the couple to leave. And Aaron gets to the house and sees that they had cleared out his garage. They had stolen a lot of stuff. They'd stolen like all his tools and everything. Um, and nothing's done about it. Nothing. So that's great. Um, and (sighs) one day Amy calls Aaron and she says that the FBI had reached out because they had found evidence that might be related to Denise and they want her to come in and identify a couple items. And her attorney warns her, this is just bait that could land you in jail if you go speak to them because they're they're trying everything to like get them to go speak to them. And he's like, they could arrest you if you go down there. 
So, and it sucks because they want the case to continue. They want to find out who did this, but they're afraid to like go do anything like that because it, yeah, it potentially could be like just to get them arrested. Right. Like whatever evidence they think that they have. Could be. like they, Yeah. Until they have the trial. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh, that would drive me nuts because I also don't like to not listen to authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though they are clearly out to get her. Right. It's difficult. Because it makes her look guilty if she doesn't go. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. Um, But the FBI keeps hounding their attorneys. And so finally, Aaron and Denise go, agree to go and look at what they have. And they show a picture to Denise. To Denise asking if she recognizes this man in a, in the photo and Denise describes him as like your generic white guy who would blend into a crowd easily nothing about him stands out and she doesn't recognize him but she said she got like a weird feeling like looking at the picture and um, they find they tell her that they found a long blonde hair wrapped around a pair of swim goggles at his place so they think this is the guy that did it um so misty karasu um she's a detective in a neighboring town or a town like a little while away uh she was asked to execute a search warrant of a home in south lake tahoe on june 8th 2015 and a masked intruder broke into an elderly couple's home and in dublin california But he was not there when officers got there. He had already left the scene. But they found zip ties, duct tape, and a cell phone that they were able to track to his house that was 188 miles away. And when they get to the house, they find 38-year-old Matthew Muller, who was a Harvard Law graduate, an ex-Marine, and a recently disbarred immigration attorney. So, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Misty and her officers had to use a battering ram to break into his barricaded home. And he didn't say a word as they arrested him. He just stood up and basically walked out like calmly as they arrested him. Um, And then Misty searched his car and saw that the back seat had been removed. And she noted it as odd. And in the trunk of the car were Nerf guns painted black with laser pointers taped to them, duct tapes, no. zip ties, and swim goggles. Yeah. And no. she found a blonde hair on one of the pairs of swim goggles with duct tape on them. Um, so she took all of this down into evidence and immediately started calling other local law enforcement, um, asking for any unsolved crimes that she could maybe like make a connection to this guy and she quickly gathered evidence of a string of unsolved crimes in the area uh break-ins with sexual assault in two cases women were forced to drink nyquil or nyquil mixes with some drug which is you know similar to what denise was being injected with or she had to take or whatever yeah um and in 2009 november that year Muller had disappeared and his wife reported him missing, Um, but she recanted it two days later, saying she found him in Utah. So suspicious behavior all around. And 
Misty called every police department handling those cases, and one of the investigators told her Matthew Muller was on their radar for a long time, but they didn't have enough evidence to pin him down. And she collected all of those reports and realized the only agency not calling her back was Vallejo. <gasps> Imagine. Yeah. But she con- she decided she was going to continue looking anyway, even though they weren't calling her back. And she tracked down a stolen white Mustang in Vallejo that she was able to connect to Matthew Muller. And the owner of the stolen car told her that he and other students in the area all suspected Matthew was responsible for Denise and Aaron's case because he was known as the Mare Island Creeper, who was a peeping Tom on the local like university campus there. So like the students there all suspected him. And if the Vallejo police had asked anyone else about this stolen vehicle or anything, they would have found that out, but they didn't. That is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and I wonder how many people like had reported that because like the thing is, you know, gossip goes around like there is this one guy, this is kind of an off story, but there's this one guy that was in my, um, that would go into the girls bathrooms at college when I was in college, my freshman Mm -hmm. year. And uh, peep on girls that were showering. Ugh, disgusting. And, like that happened a few times. And then like he'd get caught and like run. And he was always described as a, a tall kid with brown hair and whatever. But like mm-hmm. he didn't live in the built. Like no one really knew him. And there was this one guy, which I'm not going to say any names or anything. But there was this one guy that everyone always suspected. Like this yeah. one girl like was so traumatized by it. She like literally left school. That's crazy. And so, like, and, and this person was a commuter, and mm-hmm. so he didn't even live on campus or anything. And so, anyway, we all suspected it, and, like, the description fit him perfectly. But I always did wonder, like, did anyone, like, ever actually tell like, anyone, of, like, this guy's name? Or did was yeah. it just a writer and no one actually wanted to say anything? You know? Yeah. But we all stayed away from respect someone (laughs) say it yeah Yeah, i know right it's like it makes you just think like you know what like if you ever have any suspicions about anyone and they're it's like just just some weird circumstance just report it let the police figure it out if it's a dead end it's a dead end right um where was i (laughs) oh Um, okay i got it so his M.O. was always the same, like breaking in the middle of the night, the zip ties, the duct tape. And Misty was shocked to learn that Vallejo was calling this all a hoax. And um, the agent who finally took her call was Dave Sesma. And oh, really? yeah, she introduced herself and said, hey, I have a person you may want to meet in the Vallejo kidnapping case that you guys are calling a hoax. And oh, he was like, we never called it a hoax. And she's like, okay. There's literally a press, con- press conference. Literally. <laughs> and a few days later, the FBI showed up to Misty's office and took all of her evidence that she had. Um, And then a week later, Aaron and Denise find out that the state has a, a suspect in custody for a different crime, but it may be related to theirs. So... Before their case can move forward, the state case has to conclude. So theirs is kind of like frozen in time at this moment. Yeah. Um, 
And while the state has their case going on, they're not allowed to tell anyone, not even their family, that there's a suspect in custody for their case. So this whole time, even though there's a suspect, um, the police are like, you can't say anything. You guys are still, uh, as far as the public aware, like the suspects of your own kidnapping still, which is just ridiculous. What? I mean, I... I uh yeah i would still tell my family i would secretly tell them oh yeah uh, my family can keep a secret right i'm pretty sure they they probably did but you know they didn't right they're not gonna they're not gonna disclose that <laughs> i would still tell mm-hmm. um so we <laughs> this is great okay so <laughs> finally an affidavit is ready to be presented for their case. And Dan and Amy decide to have their own press conference with it before the police do so that they can say it in their words, you know, because everyone's obviously afraid of what the police are going to say because they suck. Mm-hmm. Um, and Denise is referred to as victim F and Aaron is referred to as victim M in the affidavit. It's a 59 page document. And they're very upset by it because while it does say, okay, Denise and Aaron are not the suspects, they were victims, um, the whole thing is clearly, like, taking any blame off of Vallejo with, like, statements that attempt to defend their initial take, that it was a fake kidnapping. So it's not 100% the truth. And uh, that doesn't matter. They need to get their freaking egos out of here. I mean... Yeah. You don't need to put your defense in that. Yeah. The whole thing, like an affidavit should be like presenting the case as it is truthfully. And the whole thing is basically like to cover up the police department's actions. So it's it's helpful and not at the same time. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just annoying. Like, shut up. Yeah. No one cares. The affidavit does or it stated that victim m's polygraph had unknown results when aaron was told you completely failed that you completely failed that but all of a sudden it has unknown results okay and then it also does not include anything about the emails that the kidnappers had sent um and they learn that the kidnappers called aaron's phone three times that first day and that AT&T had tracked the calls within 200 square meters of the house that Denise was being held in. So if the police had traced those calls the very first night when it was reported, they could have found Denise and, like, rescued her, like, right then and there, like, right away. She wouldn't have had to, like, be there for multiple days. Um, Sickening. Yeah. Literally basic police work. Like, mm-hmm. And how easy it was. To trace a bone. Police work that you or I could have done. Yeah, pretty and much. We are, we don't even know anything. We're stupid when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, the, yeah, the affidavit continued. It goes on to say that, like, basically everything that Aaron and Denise provided to help find the kidnappers was ignored. And it also says lies like, Denise agreed to meet with the police, but she was not be able to be located, and she did not try to contact Vallejo, even though she was told to. She's like, that's a lie. That never happened. And 
it just covers up all of the ineptitude basically and it even says in the affidavit that the FBI agent present at her SART exam said it showed no physical evidence of non-consensual sex even though that was not true and they didn't even ask like for the affidavit they did not ask the person who actually did the SART exam they asked an FBI agent who was just there in the hospital oh okay thanks thanks mister and like how dare you say that it's a total lie in an official document you know um right well i mean she like the it said not consensual and she kind of like i mean like not like allowed it but allowed it you know like yeah it might not it might not have been as much trauma since she Mm -hmm. wasn't fighting it right so since it didn't show any non-consensual yeah but it kind of was it was you know it wasn't it wasn't consensual as far as like her fighting it and like you know your typical trauma that you'd see from that because she had to give in and succumb Mm -hmm. fortunately it's just the wording of it makes it seem like she completely was not right about it at all you know yeah. Like the wording could have been like the physical evidence was what it was, but like she was raped, you know? And yeah, they could have kind said... of they kind of like brushed it under the rug like it wasn't. Yeah, right. Like saying a general st- statement like it it showed negative for any non-consensual sex, that seems like okay, then they didn't have sex. But like that's not the case. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could have said that and then said, but that doesn't mean that it's out of the realm of possibilities or yeah. anything infuriating i would be so pissed if i were her that is that is just so insult like do you think i'm lying do you really think i'm lying about that everything else i've told you the truth about but nope i'm just making that up no that part yeah the most traumatizing part probably you know right and then the affidavit also included um photos that prove that aaron and denise were telling the truth which were photos of the fake nerf guns or fake guns that were Nerf guns with the laser pointers, the zip ties, everything. And the emails were even explained that explained why the kidnappers like sympathized with Denise and they were shocked. She was threatened being threatened with like persecution and all of that was eventually included in the affidavit. And yeah, you know, it's just gotta be so weird for them, Denise and Aaron, like, or just like frustrating knowing it was just a freaking nerf gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if they would have, I mean, I I would just have a hard time not dwelling that on that and be like, oh my gosh, if I would have just fought back or, you know, tried anything, it would have yeah. failed completely because it was just a nerf gun. Yeah. They were definitely I mean, obviously, I'm not telling, like, because at any point it could have been a real gun. So, like, what else are they supposed to do? Right. Just like that. I I could just imagine how frustrating that would be and be like, are you kidding me? I I would get so mad. Learning that. Yeah. Oh, me too. And she wrote, so Denise writes in her book, quote, this is a moral dilemma I've never experienced. Agreeing with the very people I disagree. I disagree with so much. How is it that they alone, meaning the kidnappers, and not all of the journalists or members of the public can see through the conduct of the police? So that's like her thoughts of like 
the emails that support her and Aaron. Like, how dare you, like, say that they're not victims? You know that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah that is like, that would definitely be a moral dilemma within your mind. The only people that believe me are the ones that actually kidnap me. The only people on my side are the ones that kidnap me. Yeah, that would just be such a mind effort. I would just be mm-hmm. like. What is, I, I mean, I've said this, I think, a million times while you've been telling this whole case. What is going on? Yeah. I don't know. What is I would have to indeed? be admitted to a, an insane asylum. <laughs> this would really, I would just be, oh my God, the way this turns around and goes upside down and all the things throughout this whole time. And the only reason is because another jurisdiction got involved yeah and so they're about to be busted because it was gonna be a state thing if misty karasu had not had the thought to look into other crimes than the one he was arrested for in her jurisdiction this would probably never have been solved you know god bless you misty right so then it the emails start coming out a little bit more and one the author of one of the emails says that the guy, so Matthew Muller, who held Denise captive was now missing and having a psychotic break and that the captor was impressed with Denise for displaying like Stockholm syndrome or whatever. So they credit Denise with breaking up their like professional ring. They were like, because of how strong she was, he decided he didn't want to do this anymore. She broke up our like little gang, whatever. Um, and then they wrote that if the police do not apologize to Denise and Aaron, then you will be our next target. So I, it's like a defense for them, but it's also like, what is going on? And these emails are like one of the weirdest parts of this case. And that so they, they kept they got they broken kept up. Them. Yeah, they got broken up. Yeah. Like a little boy band. But <laughs> right. But then oh, but we'll still come after you. Yeah. But like, you're broken up. Hmm. It's not together anymore. Right. Yeah. Who's coming after me? Um a reporter asks the Vallejo police if they stand by their hoax statements that they made four months ago, and they immediately say, Yes, we stand by it but we are continuing to investigate it. And I'm like, everyone at this point knows that you were lying. Everyone sees the proof. This affidavit is out. The, every, the public now knows about all these emails and you're still going to say, yeah, we stand by what we said. Okay. You're just literally trying to save face at this point. And being- it literally is. It's just all about ego. Like how about we actually try to get the news correct and not care about our egos. Right. How about we admit that we were wrong? No, we can't do that because we're fragile. I guess so. You know, you're Um, already hating. I don't know why. Why they're even trying. I know. It's you're done. (laughs) Literally, you're done. (laughs) You're done. So the defense for Matthew Muller, his lawyers begin to make plans for a mental illness defense, claiming he suffers from bipolar disorder disorder <laughs> i just said okay. bipolar disorder <laughs> um bipolar disorder with suicidal tendencies paranoia and psychosis probably ptsd yeah and 
Then Aaron and Denise find out 2020 is devoting an episode to their case. And at first they're excited about it because they said 2020 will tell the truth. Um, But it's a little disappointing because they for the episode, they interviewed a quote unquote legal expert, Nancy Grace and Henry Lee, who was the reporter who first received the emails from the kidnappers. Um, And both Nancy Grace and Henry Lee say that they had assumed Aaron and Denise were faking it. And um, Nancy Grace, every time she says proof of life video, she like does the air quotes and like rolls her eyes at one point, like implying she believed this proof of life video was fake. So the people they, even though the truth was coming out, the people they were interviewing for this episode kind of were like not really on their side. And they kind of thought it was like fake, you know? So it shows you like what is feeding whatever, like whoever fed this into them, like how much of a hold it had on them. Right. How much people will believe what the police tell them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, but even so, the episode was a little bit of a disappointment. Even so, after it aired, people finally started to come to their defense, Aaron and Denise. And they start finally started saying things like, you know, this is wrong the way they're treated. And finally, the public is able to start turning their perspective on what they thought about Aaron and Denise. So. Good. Um, and that'll be the end of part three. <gasps> and part four will be our conclusion with Matthew's um, trial and what comes of that. So, yeah. I'm so curious. I'm so curious to hear more about Matthew. I mean, he just sucks. I, yeah. I, and I don't, I haven't heard enough of him. And then I want her to like hear his voice. And then mm-hmm. recognize it or something, or there'd be a big moment where she, everything makes sense. And like, and then who is this, the rest of this, this squad, this gang that they're yeah. in? And I mean, he wasn't lying. He is ex-Marine. Yeah, that part was true. And then I can see how he'd be able to write these detailed emails because he is a freaking attorney. Mm-hmm. So like, he's also educated. And he was a Harvard Law yeah uh, graduate so he did have things going for him at one point in his life you know that was disbarred. that was true yeah he was disbarred and he got disbarred and then his life i'm just so curious yeah and like how involved is the rest of this group or are they not even that involved and these are questions that i can't wait to get answered or hopefully they get answered yeah um yeah, this is this is a very interesting case so far, Emily. I'm looking forward to hearing more. And Good. thank you for <laughs> can you remind me of the name of the book again? It is called Victim F. Victim F. Yep. Which we finally learned why this episode, because that's what she was referred to in the affidavit. Yeah. Um, she was victim yep. F and he was victim M. I was confused. I was like, those are random letters, <laughs> but female and male. <laughs> Female that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what yeah, I realized. I was like, "Oh, yeah. <sighs> all right." Well, thank you for doing all that, and I cannot wait to hear the rest of the story next week. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm Casey. I'm Emily, and you just heard Macabre Minds. Mm-hmm.